are going to dip into the mailbag tonight. Thank you so much. We have way more questions this week. Um, We're going to answer three separate questions from three separate listeners. And we are thrilled that people are actually taking the opportunity. Again, ahoopsjourney at gmail.com or DM us on Instagram with any questions. Fortunately, not going to be able to get to all the questions, but we have narrowed down a few that we would like. The first question is from Paul. Paul, another grad of St. Thomas More. Hope you're doing well. Thanks for tuning in. Paul asks, and we're going to kind of combine two questions into one. Um, He says, what do you think of Donovan Mitchell's game? And do you think that in three years' time or earlier, the Utah Jazz can come on out on top and win a title? From a fan perspective and a coach perspective, how can you not like the way Donovan Mitchell plays as an undersized guard attacking the hoop? Seems like a really good teammate, an upbeat person in the community, which doesn't have anything to do with his game, but it means a lot to me. So it'd be pretty hard to not be a fan of his. I'm interested to see what he can do just being so undersized and how he can make something out of that career and how what his longevity will look like. You know, I think of like a D Wade where early in his career, D Wade was attacking the hoop a lot, dunking and just being really aggressive and then became more of a jump shooter. You just have to because he just can't last that long. And then to combine that with the jazz, first of all, super random, you're a jazz fan. All right. I do not see the Utah Jazz winning in less than three years. I just think there's too many strong teams out there unless they make some real moves in free agency. Um, I just don't think they have what it takes when you look at, you know, what the Clippers have. Obviously, the Lakers have a couple years left. There's just too many teams out there that I think can do it. The thing that I love about Utah, I love watching home games because they their crowd is into it. and They're always entertaining. But I just don't see them in, in you know, in three years being able to get close to winning a title unless they make some sort of big move. How about you, Corbs? I agree with that. I think the West is just really strong. You have Dallas coming up. We're supposed to have Sacramento in there as well. Phoenix. And then you still have some of the old guard, right? Like Houston. OKC is already still a better team than them. They got to make some moves. Conley's getting older. They're kind of weak on the wing. I know they just got... Uh, Bogdanovich, but is he a, the real difference maker between, you know, trying to beat LeBron in the playoffs? Probably not. He probably didn't add another All Star, at least, just to even I think get to the finals. But unless they do some something like that, I don't see them winning a championship in under three years for sure. I agree. Yeah. So Paul, thanks for tuning in, man. That's an awesome question, and we've still got a couple of your more uh, more of yours on the radar. Quickly, I'll tell you, unfortunately, my favorite NBA team um, is the Minnesota Timberwolves. It used to be the Sonics. Obviously, the Grizzlies have a soft spot for me. But when I lived in Brandon, Manitoba, I got to see pretty much Kevin Garnett from his beginning. So I just fell in love with them. And uh, it's been a nightmare ever since. So thank you for asking who my favorite team is. Uh, The next question we have is from our boy, Riley Ma, all the way overseas in Korea representing got to know Riley during my time when I lived in Brandon Manitoba played there good man and real dope guy excited that he's tuning in as well and he said he wants to know who we consider our all-time NCAA team and I think he dropped who he thinks and I tend to agree he also asked which player and that's just that's tough so well you know I think some of the players from an impact standpoint that I've seen, Patrick Ewing was on another level because 
from what I recall being my age, goaltending didn't exist. Pat Ewing would just beat everything up. Obviously, Blue Alcinder, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar was one of the greatest. Um, his time at UCLA, never had the chance to watch him play. D. Wade at Marquette, again, using his name, but just the run that he went on. And I think that's what's special about the college game is we don't see players really, maybe some someone's kind of in the dark until the tournament happens and then they come out of nowhere. But, you know, as much as we hate him and as much as I don't want to admit a guy like Christian Leitner's got to be one of the best college players of all time, that you just, you can't deny what he did in his time at Duke and the career that he had. But for me, the team that stood out and I actually had the opportunity to see these guys, they came to Vancouver. Can't even remember who they played at BC Place, but they ran them out of the building. And that was the 89 uh, UNLV team. They just had so many studs. They won the final, just happened to be over Duke, Duck Fook. For all our Duke fans out there who think I'm a hater, <laughs> love, love me some Coach K. Sorry, just can't get on the bandwagon like everybody else and be like, oh, let's go Duke. But that team was absolutely phenomenal. Won the title won 34 straight games and ended up losing to Duke in the semifinal the following year. But what they accomplished over a two-year period, I don't know if that's going to be matched. And I did a little bit of reading on it too. And everybody had them in the, at least, you know, the writers that I read had them in the top two. They had Stacey Ogman, who went on to have a great career, aka the Plastic Man. Greg Anthony, who was a great point guard, ended up being a Vancouver Grizzly, you know, and had a really good NBA career is very solid, you know, played for the Knicks as well. George Ackles just was an absolute beast. And then, you know, throwing Grandma Ma, Larry Johnson, he was player of the year, uh, averaged 22 and 11 as a college player and ended up being an all-star with the Hornets. So for me, that's the best team that I've seen. They were phenomenal. And the, what Jerry Tarkanian was able to do and bring those guys into a place like UNLV, I would have just loved to have been a walk-on on that team and just hang out and see what happens, not only in Las Vegas on a nightly basis, but every single road trip that they were on, but just the run that they went on to pull that off is, is pretty bananas. Corbs, you're obviously a lot younger than I am, so it'd be interesting to hear what your take is on this or if you've given it any thought at all. Uh, yeah, I haven't been watching you know NCAA basketball as, as long as a lot of our listeners, but when I think of the really great teams, well, no, what comes to mind, you know, unfortunately, are the, the early 90s Duke teams with like Grant Hill, Leitner, Bobby Hurley, those guys. And I think this probably isn't the greatest team, but I think one of the most iconic teams that I've like really looked at and really. I know where you're going with this. About. I really love the Fab Five, baby. Yeah, I, man. I had the Black Air. I had the Black Air Maxes. Those things were ridiculous. I wore Barclays all the time, the baggy shorts. Yeah, they're iconic. That's a great call. You know, just what they were able to do. Steve Fisher bringing those guys in. And I don't think people really realize just how good Chris Webber was. That guy was unbelievable. They were unreal. And just their swagger and the way that they changed the game and, and brought a spotlight to the NCAA when they needed it. And just their story, too, and how it all ended up happening, right down to the timeout and the banners being taken down and all that stuff. That's a good call. Especially with that ESPN uh, documentary, the 30 for 30 they had. That was that's probably the best 30 for 30 they have, right? Mm -hmm. And it's still kind of, not. I don't think it's a good thing, but it's still kind of cool that 
like Jalen and, and Chris still really haven't made up o- o- uh, over that, right? And they're still kind mm-hmm. of feuding through the media to this day in 2020. Yeah. So just how long like a, such a iconic team can have an impact on this is basketball and and in society as well, right? For sure. Just interesting too, you know, with the NCAA, what it seems like they let pass so often. And then for some reason, Michigan was held accountable. So it was like, I don't know, were they sending a message in terms of we don't like what you represented for those years? You know what I mean? Like there's I think there's just so much to it and such a crazy story. But I remember watching those games and Weber just dunking on people with a snarl and Jalen yapping and they had the big baggy shorts past the knees. And, you know, this it was just a cool time to be a, a college hoops fan. And I think they brought a lot of excitement back to the game. And then for those who remember, right, the time out by Weber and just that miscommunication. So yeah, I remember I had his little article in Sports Illustrated, his write-up, his post-game talk, where he was like half crying and taped on my wall, and I would read it and, you know, talked about, you know, getting back to being a, making this not his, you know, defining moment of his career and all that stuff. So it's cool, man. Very iconic team. I will also say I'm a huge, this is more of a modern pick. I love defense. I love a good redemption story. I think the 2018-2019 the Virginia Cavaliers team really fits that bill. Um, obviously, they lost in the first round to a 16th seed. First time that's ever happened, right? But how to rally from that? And I don't know. What else do you want from a team? They play defense. They play together. They, they showed some mental fortitude. They could have folded multiple times against Auburn. They could have folded. Um, okay. And I love Tony Bennett. I love... Like I love their defense. I love guys who play defense. I love teams that play defense. That's why I was really enamored by that South Carolina team with uh, Cinderius Thornwell. Dwayne Notice was on that team as well. Uh, mm-hmm. PJ Dozier. Um, that's just kind of my brand of basketball that I really appreciate. So shout out the Virginia team. Well, congratulations, Corbett. And we're talking about all-time teams ever. So way to just give us your personal thoughts on Virginia basketball. Unfortunately, we have a podcast to do, and it's not about you. So, <laughs> this is why everyone thinks that I just, the producer just absolutely gets just gets abused on this podcast. But and mom, don't worry, give folks. Us... <laughs> don't worry, folks. It's all love. <laughs> Nobody's worried. Nobody's worried. They love it. Oh, okay. Uh, also, <laughs> there's a soft spot too, and I don't think they were the most dominant or the best, but. The Florida Gators, my Florida Gators, Billy Donovan, 2006-2007 back-to-back champs. You can't deny how hard it is to win something back-to-back and uh, obviously have a soft spot for me. So, But I definitely got to go run in Rebels, man. They were phenomenal. They were fast. They were aggressive. They were long. They were on a whole nother level, and nobody can deny that. But there's lots of great college teams out there for sure. So thanks for that question, Riley. That was that was a good one. Our last question from the mailbag is from two former managers, actually. They've been tuned into the pod, our boys, uh, Aiden and Ara. So thanks for the email, guys. It's actually a super interesting time. They were asking, as co-managers, they were head managers of the senior boys team, what is the effect an assisting staff can have on the game? And then they said that they don't necessarily mean in a high school context, but just, you know, in the next levels as well. And I think we can both answer this because there's different layers to this in terms of what your needs are. I think at the high school level, you're right now the junior coach. I'm the senior. 
you're just thankful to have an assistant, right? Someone that can be there to help you out is actually just a blessing. Towards the end of our season this year, you know, we had a season where we had some coaches and then life got busy and that's what happens. They're volunteers, they have lives, they have careers, they have significant others. But a couple of guys stepped up and were helping out the last kind of month and it was just awesome to have them because it was another set of eyes. Um, it's someone that you can, you know, give drills to, someone whose input you need. And then right down to people like your managers and your trainers, I think are vital. And I think the higher levels you get to, the more important those people are because if you're a college coach or an MBA coach, you don't want someone who's just going to be a yes person and you don't want, you know, a stats person who doesn't love the game and is just there because they get to sit on the bench or, you know, get some form of notoriety. I think, you know, if you're trying to create a real team culture, you want everybody that is involved within your unit feel like they matter. And that's got to be intentional. It can't be, it can't be something that you just make up. It has to be something that you create and you want them to be a part of. And I think it's a really good question. I know that Aiden and Ara probably saw some crazy things out of me on the bench, but I hope that they, <laughs> I hope that they feel like I respected them and I treated them with respect and that they valued their role. They showed up in a shirt and tie, even on days when I was in a golf shirt, making me look bad. So I think the higher the levels you get, you know, right down to your trainers, your physiotherapists, like you're, you're dealing with athletes that are getting paid millions of dollars. If you don't trust those people, and you don't have good relationships with them. How does everything work in a healthy manner? It's just not going to be a healthy scenario, right? So. You're right. A guy like Greg Popovich gets coach of the year. and He gets the notoriety, but I think he'd be the first person to say, hey, so-and-so breaks the tape down. So-and-so does the defense. So-and-so does the offense. So-and-so runs practice. Our trainers are taking care of these people. Like there's yeah. so many things that happen behind the scenes in sport that we don't really pay attention to. So very good question. And I hope that that answers Corbs. I don't know if you have anything to add. Yeah, you kind of said it all. I can only speak on the high school level, right? But in terms of just having an assistant, now that I am coaching alongside with you, I can see how important having just another adult there at practice with you, knowing that it's you can't see everything and that's mm -hmm. kind of what I have to add. Yeah, and I think just even someone, the assistants that you had this year, I mean, you had Dom Zimmerman, our first guest, but just people that can provide strong feedback. And you might not take that feedback at that point of the game or in practice, or whatever it is, but I think good coaches are able to reflect on it, and go back to it, and because we're not saying no to that feedback as a head coach, because we don't want you to be successful, it's like, you give us good feedback, and it works, it's like, heck yeah, let's go, we're all in this together, right? So the more valuable people you can get, the better, and I think that's the challenge, especially at the high school level, is how do you challenge your assistant coaches, especially when they're people who kind of come and go, and have busy lives, and are just doing what they can to be there, so it's an interesting one. And there you have it, man. We're, we are absolutely fired up. Corbin and I message each other all the time about the mailbag and keep the questions coming. They're super cool. There's a wide variety and we really, really appreciate it. So there you go. That's round two of the mailbag. Let's take a moment to thank our sponsor, Good Lad Clothing. Good Lad Clothing is located at 221 Esplanade in Lower Lonsdale in North Vancouver. 30 seconds from the sea bus. Good Lad Clothing prides itself in being the only three-in-one shop in Vancouver where you can get clothing, coffee or a beer, and a cut. Everything is ethically sourced and what better time to support Canadian made goods than right now during COVID-19. From the locally roasted beans 
to Toronto's own Crown Shaving, which is one of my favorites, to also one of my favorites, a Vancouver company named Reigning Champ. So many great options there at Goodlad. The owner, Shane Meyer, will offer you a private shopping experience and will also give you a free beer or coffee while you tour the store and check out what you need. While you're there, if you do happen to mention a Hoops Journey podcast or that you know me, Aaron Mitchell, we'll also offer you a 25% off discount anything store-wide. If you are unable to make it to the store, please go online to goodladclothing.com or shopthefoldgroup.com to have clothes delivered right to your doorstep with free shipping worldwide. Thank you so much to our sponsors, and let's get back to our show. Hey, yo, welcome back to A Hoops Journey. We are recording episode three today, and we are thrilled to have the current UBC men's basketball assistant coach, Sean Shook, with us. Sean has a, a deep, rich tradition of basketball and, and has a great journey and a great story to tell. Um, one that I think a lot of people will be able to take a, a lot of things away from. So whether you're a young coach, whether you're a veteran coach, if you're an aspiring basketball player or someone looking to move on to the next level, I think you'll be able to take a lot away today uh, from Sean's story. So Sean, welcome to the podcast and thanks for joining us. Uh, thanks guys. I appreciate you having me uh, on this week. You know, looking at your story, obviously, you know, we know each other quite well and have it have a good relationship. Um, so I know a lot about you, but one of the purposes of this podcast is to let people know. And I think, you know, in your journey through basketball, especially up here in the, in the province, a lot of people don't probably know unless they've had a conversation with you that where you're actually from and how you started out in the game of basketball. So if you want to just tell us a little bit about, you know, where things started, how basketball was hooked into you, and, and why it just started to become a little bit of a passion for you at a younger age. Yeah, it's quite interesting. When you when you approached me about doing this, I had to take a look back a little bit at places I'd been and realize that now I just finished my 12th year uh, coaching up here in BC, which is about half of my entire coaching career so far. But one of the odd guys, I'm a dual citizen. I was born in San Diego. My dad somehow, you know, a bunch of Americans were going north trying to get out of the draft. Instead, my dad did the other thing. They, both my parents grew up on the North Shore and my dad decided to join the U.S. Navy. So I ended up being wow. born in San Diego. So I have my dual citizenship on, on both sides of the border and grew up in a little town. After he got out, we moved north. I uh, grew up in a little town, Ferndale, Washington. So about 15 minutes south of the border, small farming community, not a, not a lot of people in town, big football area. My parents, you know, they were super great about getting us involved, played everything, played soccer, football, basketball, baseball. The one year there was more years than not, there wasn't even any ice rinks in Bellingham. So I played hockey one year. Uh, growing up, uh, and Gosh after that, the, the city sold the. Re- <laughs> I know, and this the city ended up uh, selling off the ice, and it turned into a warehouse uh, for about ten, fifteen years. So that's my entire hockey career right there. Um, <laughs> I would have loved to see you. You on know, it, it, <laughs> it was not a pretty sight, but I wasn't a big guy. I grew a lot not till high school. So, oh wow! But growing up, playing all the sports, and then really my first love baseball. You know, that was that's what I when I was a kid, and I'd go to bed. That's what I dream about. I wanted to be. I wanted I wanted to play in the major leagues, and you know we didn't didn't have a lot of money growing up. We kind of lived on acreage in a in a trailer, and and getting the radio out didn't have we didn't have cable TV. We just so I would get sometimes Blue Jays, but get a lot of Montreal Expos games over the on the black and white TV over the uh, over the antenna in, in French. Nice. So that and then and then picking up the 
random baseball games that you'd get in the middle of the night and drawing out the score, the score box and keeping score inning by inning as a kid in, in bed when I'm supposed to be sleeping in the summertime. So that was kind of what, what I was, but I played everything. And then as I got a little bit older, played a little more hoops, you know, made, made the middle school team. And then every Saturday morning as a kid, what they would do is the local high school being small is you would just show up. My parents paid for it or what it was. You'd show up and the, and the high school varsity team would coach you. And you mm-hmm. would just be put on teams and play. And then these guys became idols because Friday nights, like that's what you did in town. You'd go to the, you'd go to the varsity game. You'd get there a little early, watch the end of the JV game, and then watch the varsity guys play. And those are the heroes we looked up to because, like I said, we didn't have TV. We didn't have Instagram. We didn't have TSN and ESPN every night to show us highlights. So mm-hmm. you didn't stay up to the 11 o'clock news. You didn't see the five minutes of sports highlights that they had at the end. So yeah, yeah. those guys were the those were the big time guys for us growing up, and that was kind of always your goal was whether in the fall was to you know the Friday night lights to play football or Tuesday and Friday nights was was basketball, and then those games as well when they were on the road, those games would be on the radio. So and then right. the next Saturday morning you get the newspaper. I you know I delivered the Bellingham Herald for a few years, and you'd you'd know who was on vacation and get to take the paper and you'd read the sports section and see who won the night before. Cause you can go to Twitter to find out who won instantly. You had to wait till the paper came out the next morning. So yeah, yeah. that for me was, the, that for me was the big thing growing up. And then, you know, having that goal of playing varsity and, you know, you, you know, I had the opportunity to play for some good coaches in high school and I actually probably, I played varsity as a, as a sophomore uh, baseball wise, but uh, not basketball. I didn't even really, the start of even my junior year in basketball, I was probably only six two, six three. I hadn't really grown much. It was a scrawny kid, um, and I didn't. I, I was swinging. So back then, you played down, uh, down south. You played JV and varsity. Would play back to back, and you could play four quarters in a night. So I would at the start of my grade eleven year, I was playing two quarters in the JV game, and then maybe getting even getting a sniff at the end of a blowout of the varsity game until I just kept working, kept working. By the end of probably two thirds of the way through my grade 11 year, I became a starter on varsity and, yeah. you know, had passed a bunch of guys that, you know, back in grade eight, when I made the team and there was 12 of us on the team and only 11 jerseys, you know, and I only got to suit up every other game. By the time we got to our senior year, I was really the only guy left and starting and, and being the all league type player in the high school. And then having, you know, having that experience to me was phenomenal. We weren't a great team. You know, we lost early in the playoffs, but you know, just, that's what you grew. That's what you grew up and what you wanted to to do and be. And kind of at that point is what set in motion that I wanted to coach. And for me, at that point, becoming the head coach at Fernville High School to me was like the biggest deal that that could happen. Mm-hmm. Like that was my kind of like my goal: go away, get my degree, teach, come back and teach PE, and, and be the uh, head coach at Fernville High School was kind of like the life goal at age seventeen. Why are you laughing at teaching PE and coaching, man? Uh, hey, you have the greatest gig in the world. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, but, but I'm funny. just saying that that was my goal. Yeah, that's cool. You know, just listening to you talk, I re- I remember when I was in high school, we would always go down and we would play a couple teams in in Seattle or that area, and we'd make it down to Portland and come back. We would ride on the yellow bus. You know, a couple of years we went to Rainier Beach, which was definitely interesting. But I think it was like Battleground High School or something. And I remember like us warming up. And looking over and there's these two gentlemen talking on headsets and I'm like, what are they doing? And then our coach is like, they're on the radio. They're live on the radio. We were like, what? And they had like a booster club and just all these amazing things. Right. And so, you know, you've got a unique story here and shout out baseball. Corbin and I, huge baseball fans, probably way better that you got to see the Expos instead of those crappy Blue Jays because who cares about them? Um, (laughs) You know. 
no big deal there. But yeah, it was yeah. it was a big deal. It was, you know, yeah. the band, the cheerleaders. Yeah. I, honestly, for one of the biggest things, what they would do is on, on game days, the, mm-hmm. the cheerleaders, they each had like a player assigned to them. And, and you'd get to your locker in the hallway on yeah. Tuesday or Friday morning of a game day. And they'd have a, they'd have a poster and they'd usually have made, you know, stuff that we would never have tell athletes to have now cookies mm-hmm. and brownies and, and chips and candy that they'd stick in your locker. That's probably and the that, closest and, and you ever got to a girl in high school, hey? Well, they, they had no choice. They got they got stuck. So somebody had to have them. I mean, <laughs> I had a mullet, which was which was the mullet and rec specs was a good look back then. But this you is know. true. Mullet and rec specs, like how? Yeah, I don't know how they stayed away from you. To be honest, <laughs> you know, you just it's discipline, discipline. <laughs> and we'll jump back and forth. So instantly. You know, you and I have had many conversations about basketball, but you're going back and, you know, not thinking like, oh, back in the day kind of guy. But your experience as a high school player in the United States of America and in a place like Ferndale, no knock on it, but like you admitted, just a small kind of farming town. And then, you know, seeing what high school basketball is is like here, like what are the good is in the bads? What what do you compare about the experience from down there is to here? I, I think the big difference is just when you get into the smaller communities, it's the community support. So it's the same. I'm playing with guys whose dads played and maybe grandfathers played at that university now or at that at that high school. And now their kids are going through now. And, you know, I've gone back to games down south and I, and I go to these games, you know, sometimes recruiting, sometimes just to go back and watch and, and names pop up. And it's like, yeah, I played against his dad or you know, I played with his dad, those, those types of things. So the community sport support is really different. Mm-hmm. And I, I think just the, the emphasis, not in a negative way that sometimes athletics can be within academia, but I think the positive part of it being emphasized, the, the pep rallies at the end of the day on Friday, yeah. you know, the student support is huge. It's not just one game a year, or if you play a game at, at lunchtime, uh, because there are fewer games, there's that you very rarely would play in a tournament. If you did, you'd play maybe two games or three games in a tournament because you could only play right. one game in a day. So you had right. your 20 games in the season, and those were because you only got those 20. I think they were they, they were quite they were quite special. You, you also had a lot more multi-sport athletes. I mean, right. growing up in Ferndale, big big football town. I mean, multiple NFL guys out of came out of Ferndale: Doug Peterson, Jake Locker, uh, Michael Kane, and all guys that went on and played in the league. And mm-hmm. so but they all played basketball as well. Like yeah, they didn't yeah. just stop playing, you know, locally guys like Luke Ridenauer and Blaine, like he played other sports as well. I mean, he played tennis and ran cross country, but at least he was involved in that. It wasn't, I'm, a, I'm just going to play club in the fall and then my high school team and then club in the spring and club in the summer. He was involved yeah. in, in all these other things. So mm-hmm. that there's the big difference there. And, and I think the other thing that's to me, that was a big shocker to me was the emphasis on being a grade nine provincial champ or being a JV provincial champ. That was mm-hmm. never the goal. It was you played grade nine, you played C team, and then JV, and then varsity because varsity was the goal. Going to state was the goal, and I never made it as a player. Didn't mm-hmm. get there until I started coaching. But going to the state tournament was a huge event, and yeah. now teams take a, a most schools do it. But even way back then, Lyndon and Lyndon Christian, they knew they were going to the state tournament. They just didn't have school on Thursday and Friday because everybody was going to be out of town. All the kids were going to be at the state tournament. So <laughs> why have a bunch of absences when you, you know everybody's going? So yeah. that that kind of mentality. And I think for the most part, it's it's still there in the smaller communities and the smaller towns. I think some of them, and, and you always had the issues. You know, it was always the WIAs changed the state tournament because they felt like they were losing money at the big school level because the bigger inner city schools or the schools that aren't attached to community and more 
population, they don't quite have that same support. And so right. renting out the Tacoma Dome to play, they're losing money. But, you know, the B State tournament in Spokane, that, 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 would, that actually makes money for the, for the association. So just the right. number of small communities and people trek over to Spokane and, and you get the same people. And I would see the same guys at all of our home games. And one of them was a guy who was the barber in town and he was at every game and knew everybody. And it's just, <laughs> yeah. it's kind of a little bit of that Hoosiers to it. Yeah. Yeah. Don't get caught watching the paint dry. <laughs> so, like- I, so yeah, so I was, I was a bit surprised because you grow up with the goal of playing varsity and within each program, both playing and coaching down there, it's a development of a program. So the, the head coach of the varsity runs the program in the way of down through the JV and the, in the, in the freshman or C team. Yeah. And so his philosophy is on all three levels. And so kids, as they come through, that's the goal. It's mm-hmm. not, well, we're going to keep a kid down because we want to win a grade nine title. Mm-hmm. And if a kid's ready to play, he's ready to play. And I, yeah, you know, I, I played with guys that were, when I was a senior, we had a freshman playing with us because he was, the, he was one of the probably eight best players in the school. So he's going to play with us mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because the goal is to win at the varsity level. And I think that was the biggest shock to me was I kept I'd going like, well, what do you mean your best player is not playing? Your best player is playing junior basketball. I don't, don't understand that. How much of that factor do you think is the importance that's put behind it? Right. Obviously, I mean, you coached high school down there. Like, was it a paid position? Right. Like up here, we're looking at volunteers. And I think more and more with especially in the public system, I'm fully aware how how fortunate I am to be at a private school. But just, you know, the emphasis that's actually put on extracurricular in general, forget basketball, just everything across the board. You know, there's just the the pride behind it and the and people making it a priority. Like, do you think though that's related to it, or is it just something different? I, I think it I think it is related to it. I, I I did get paid. It's not it wasn't much. And then right. all the coaches each coach in charge of a program. So at most schools that I was at, usually you know if the head coach is making a couple thousand six seven thousand dollars, mm-hmm. your assistants are making about seventy percent of that down the road and then you have your booster club and there was years where I was the, just the varsity assistant and I still got my, I still got a, an honorarium to do that. You know, right. it doesn't really, it just pays. So you're not paying as much out of your pocket. And right. So I think that makes a massive difference, yeah. but because there also is a little bit of this accountability, you are getting paid by the taxpayers. Yeah. There is money in the school budget that's going, so there's some accountability to do the job and, and do it properly. And, yeah. and, you know, show up in a, you know, in, in, in at least a polo or, or, you know, wear a shirt and tie, depending on the, who the head coach is. And there's some of those things. And then, you know, but the flip side of that is sometimes community members feel like they have a little more say into what should be going on and, and you're yep. not winning enough. And I, and I ran into that at times too, is, yep. you know, they're not happy and with what's going on and, and you're not winning enough or you're losing to the wrong school. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, they don't, they don't, they don't like that. So I, I think it's, it, it's a catch way too. There are the positives of, being able to pay your coaches, but then the expectation, I think it goes above and beyond what they actually get paid for. Uh, where the flip side up here is that guys aren't getting paid. So sometimes schools programs are folding because yeah. there's no one even wants to take on the, the responsibility of, yeah. of doing that. Yeah. And then there's just no continuity. Yeah. So it kills it. Yeah. Good stuff. So, you know, we're looking at your career, obviously that you get up, then you're all of a sudden you're at Meridian high school you make the state tournament before we jump to your transition and what, you know, why you ended up coming up here. Like, tell me about what it was like to make the state tournament in, in 2003 down there. Like what, what was that like? How big of it, how big of a deal was it? Who were the players that you saw coached against give, you know, give the listeners I'm super intrigued too. Like I get freaking fired up about this stuff. So yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. And it, it, it goes back to, I, I think, you know, I, 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 had my first coaching opportunity in uh, 92, 93 at Meridian High School where 
where a guy that I'd coached, he'd asked me to come out. I, I had stopped kind of playing and gotten hurt a little bit. And so he'd asked me to come coach a spring AAU team. And back then it was literally to be one, maybe two tournaments. And that what it is not, not even close to what it is now. And, mm-hmm. and I, and I kind of did that. I was going to kind of go back and play at Skagit Valley, got hurt again. And so I was just going to school at the time, finishing my, my transfer degree. And so I said, yeah, I'll do that. And so I ended up showing up at three o'clock for the varsity practice, being there from three to five with the varsity. And then JV would practice five to seven and I'd stay there for that practice. So I was literally there four hours a day, every day, not getting paid a dime. Cause here was this, to me at that time, this is a great opportunity for me. And after that, there was, you know, that's made the jump back over to Ferndale. They had a new coach there and um, pretty good team. We made the state tournament first time that, you know, 1994, we make the state tournament at Ferndale first time they'd made it since 1970. So the great story about that is we're we're playing districts at Marysville High School, and we played Anacortes earlier in the year and, and lost to them twice. And they were a team that had a few more wins than us, and we were able to knock them off. We went uh, this is before the shot clock, so we went a little four corners. So kind of a kind of a little boring style of basketball. But we did we had to do to get a win, and so here we finished third. And, and third, this is the third fourth game, winner to state, loser out, and the place is packed. There's a couple probably fifteen hundred people there. And after the game's over, everybody from Ferndale swarms the court and players grab the scissors and jump up on their shoulders and start cutting the net down. And they still got to host a district championship game right after us. And so the facility people are going crazy because what the heck is this team doing cutting the net down? They finished third. And so it was such a big deal for us to get to the state tournament because it had been 24 years since we'd been there. And we get, to, we get, we get our draw and we get uh, uh, the Franklin Quakers, defending oh state champions with with Jason Terry. No way. There's our first round draw. No so it's, way. you know, welcome, welcome back to the state tournament. We get down to the Tacoma Dome. We have the uh, 9 a.m. game. So we're waiting because they don't let you get on the floor. You only get your 20 minute warm up. So they don't let you get on where guys are waiting. Guys are waiting. And, you know, I'm standing under the hoop as the young assistant, you know, being a little bit of the hype man and getting guys going. And guys are going up and dunking wasn't allowed. But guys are going up and they're they're getting up above the rim and I'm thinking, wow, this this floor we've never played on a floor like that, a court, an actual court, you know, not just a gym. Yeah. And then when they realized that they hadn't cranked the hoop up high enough, it was only at nine feet. No way. Yeah. So they had to clear the court, put the hoops up. They were only at nine feet because they just put them up that night in the Tacoma Dome. So you don't get a yeah. practice the day before. And they we went out, we tried to spread spread the ball and. uh yeah, he, Jason Terry just took us apart. I think he ended up with like 25 or 26 in about 15 minutes of, of playing time. That was back in the day when he was rocking the one sock up, one sock down look yes. before he went off when before he went off to Arizona. Okay. So, you know, that was it. And that was great. It was a two year. We went back to we went to state back to back. You know, we had the uh, 2A player of the year. We went on and played at Seattle Pacific. And, yeah, I was going to say at that point, like, so in 03, like, sort of cut you off, but in 03, like, you make it down. Yep. What's your best player just, that year? Where where are they going? And you, when you're so to, yeah. so we're so at this point at this point I'm ready. Well, it's a, we're a double a, we're a double A school. So there, and there's four classifications. We're playing over in Yakima. I was lucky to have one guy end up getting a sniff uh, at, at the community college level. Yeah. Very few of the guys at that level moved on. I mean, right. Rittenauer came in behind those guys, and and he was obviously legit you know a couple guys but really it really wasn't there wasn't a ton of guys moving on from did you coach games right now uh uh, earlier yeah after that uh we were just in in summer never played him in league yeah okay yeah for those that don't Um, know blaine borderites luke rittenauer went on played at uh, the university of oregon and then uh carved out a really really nice nba career ended up coming back played for seattle for a few years was just a nice point guard and yeah very good player i'm sure there's some young listeners that 
are Googling right now, including even Corbs. Corbs, do you know who Luke Ridenauer is? Of course I know who Luke, Luke Ridenauer is. Yeah. Oh, he's awake. Okay, I was just making sure you're awake. <laughs> I'm not Good. a dinosaur man. I'm not like, sorry, I'm not going to say it. <laughs> you, are, you are a historian, though. You love your stuff, so that's cool. I do, I do. Okay, so love it. I want more storytelling. Players that you've seen, we'll get into that. But so now, yeah. okay, you're kind of getting into your high school thing, and then how the heck does Sean Shook end up in British Columbia? You know, you mentioned your parents and things like that, but what's the like? How does Sean Shook end up at Quest University? He doesn't even like he doesn't even like granola or wool socks. <laughs> so I'd left. I left Meridian 05, bounced around. We can talk about the other places. I kind of little ABA stuff and. Uh, there was a kid that oh, I let's coached. Talk about the ABA right now. Talk, let's talk. He would talk about the ABA. So I, I think the people out here, you know, the feedback that we're getting is they are just loving the storytelling more than anything. So how about it? It was interesting. So I, I, I coached at Meridian. We coming off the state tournament, like we, we had districts back to back, and we kind of didn't really get the job done. And and it, like I said, being a small community, and I just there had been some stuff where parents weren't happy with playing time of, of their kids or the results we had. And I just kind of had enough and I was out. I just, I had four years ahead coach and I was like, I'm not getting paid enough to, to deal with this stuff. And at the same time, I'm coaching golf there and getting paid as much money to coach golf. And it was fantastic. No one didn't have a single complaint. My six years coaching golf at Meridian high school. Which might be so. the most phenomenal thing I've, I, I know about you because <laughs> You and I have played a few rounds. I've seen you swing a club, so I can only imagine what that golf team was like. Hey, it was a, it was a matter of I had a kid that was really good. He went to state all four years. He finished like second, third, fifth, fifth, and I, literally he'd be like, "Coach, uh, uh, my swing coach is over at the other club. Can I? Yeah, go right ahead. Yeah, <laughs> the van leaves. Van leaves at eleven a.m. Thursday for our tournament. See you then." Like I, I'm not getting. It's an individual sport, man. Those guys are good. The rest of them, yeah. It was just making sure don't pull your carts across the green, repair your divots, don't hit into the group in front of you, pace a play. <laughs> that was literally my job. And I and I had my CPR and I, I could drive the school vans and uh, I, I made sure kids got to the tournaments and back and I could I could count scorecards at the end. I knew enough about the rules to get through that. So I love it. That was uh, I love that it. was quote unquote coaching golf. So. You know, that's how, uh, what's his name? Always starts his clinics there at North Carolina. The coaching golf, coaching baseball was the greatest gig he had. So uh, I had one year of coaching baseball at Ferndale. That was great too. But so we'll go, to, so I, I leave Meridian and there's this new, the, the ABA. So the ABA back way back, even Corbs, you might remember seeing some of this stuff. So the ABA of the, the mid seventies that merged with the New Jersey Nets, Dr. J and the, the Nuggets and some of them merged into the NBA. And some guy had bought the name and the rights to the ABA. And he was literally just taking money from people that wanted to start a, a pro team. I'd say 80% of them were not pro teams, but we had a really legit owner in Bellingham and they thought they had a bit of a market. So they said, we're going to start this team and play in the ABA. And they hired the coach. They hired Rob Ridenauer. So that's Luke's dad. So he had hmm. multiple state championships at Blaine High School, legendary coach, phenomenal guy. And I was done at Meridian. So I called Rob and, you know, kind of worked around and said, hey, I'd love to help out. Stop, just stay involved in the game. I was done coaching Meridian. Didn't really want to go back to the high school game right away. And he said, yeah, sure. It doesn't pay anything. And I think in the end, the three of us that helped out, we split a couple thousand bucks just to, to make it out. And so we have our first tryout down at the Sonics training. The Sonics had a practice facility down in Seattle. So Rob uses connections with his son through the Sonics and had a bunch of guys there that came to a tryout. And then we used the Grizzlies facility. We get up to the Grizzlies facility <laughs> thinking, oh, there's gotta be some kids. Well, there's nobody here. 
literally it was a couple of guys that we brought up from the Bellingham area to make sure we had guys that we knew to compare guys. Well, at that time, never heard of it. There's something called Dolphin Park going on the same weekend. <laughs> so as you guys know, guys weren't coming. They weren't kind of some paying some money, some open tryout. They were all in the beer garden at, at Dolphin Park. So didn't end up signing any BC guys, you know, went down. It was great because with Rob's connection, we was able to get down and get into a lot of Sonics practices early on and watch guys like Ray Allen do workouts and just that type of crazy work ethic. And that guy could flat out shoot the basketball, just watching him work out, just flat out never missed in an individual workout. I can so we get into the ABA. Oh, it was, it was, it was great. So we, we ended up signing a couple guys. We, we signed uh, George Gervin, the Iceman. We signed his nephew that had played at Louisville. Had some issues, ended up at a Division II. A guy named Mike Bush that played basketball and football at Washington State, won a Rose Bowl, was with the 49ers and played in the Arena League and decided to get back to basketball. And then a bunch of D2 guys and then a bunch of guys from West, that played at Western Washington. We had a pretty solid squad. We go down to L.A., first game. No idea what to expect. No scouting report. I'm scouring the internet. I think this is still dial-up internet at this point, trying to find any sort of information on who we're going to play and who's who's on the who's on the rosters and, and, and who's not. And, and we're down and we're playing at Southwest. I think it's Southwest LA uh, Junior College in Compton and playing in front of zero. There's literally no people there. And it's it's kind of my start of being it kind of ends up being a like being a college CCAA coach where you know post game I got to wash the uniforms and at that time with the, with the ABA the host team was responsible for your hotel accommodations so the oh, wow. LA wow. team puts us up at the yeah so we ended up they, they had, we were put up at the airport motel six oh baby so I'm washing <laughs> the uniforms at midnight at the air, the the uh, airport motel six, just uh, checking out the locals working the working the streets, making sure that you know. And really, I can't go back to my room because uniforms are going to disappear. They're just people yeah. are just wandering around. It's literally your motel drive up, doors open yeah. up to the outside. It's not in a hallway. So then the next game we're playing, we're playing the Beijing Aocean. So they they were a Chinese team that was in the CBA that had a guy named Sun Yui who ended up getting drafted by the Lakers in the second round a year or two later, they wouldn't release him to the national team. So they moved their entire operation over to Commerce, California to play in the ABA and train. And they hired, I can't remember the guy's name, a former NBA assistant was their head coach. And they brought in Vinny Askew, former wow. NBA guy. He was there. Ooh. Yeah, he was their guy that was playing with them. And we played them in a rec center that Vinny they had to put up scaffolding because it had no bleachers. They had to put up scaffolding because they were all the games were being recorded and then sent back and, and broadcast in China because of the Sun Yui, right? He might have been one of the first. Wow. One of, he was one of the very few, few Chinese-born players to come out and play in the NBA. It didn't last very long with the Lakers. Mm-hmm. So that, but then they put us up at the Commerce Casino. You know, so just a completely different – you're at the mercy of the home team and where they're going to put you up. And, yeah. You know, we had some great you – know, you know, right before Christmas, we played the Tijuana Dragons in Tijuana. Fly to San, you fly to San Diego, you drive to the border, and you walk across. And as soon as we walked across, that American that was their player coach, and he yeah, picked us up here. in like this this fifteen passenger van. He picked us up on the on the Mexican side of the border, took us to the hotel. We played two games against Tijuana. They had nice crowds, you know, all Americans. They had Harold Arsenal. Remember Harold Arsenal? Weaver yeah. State had a massive NCAA tournament. He was kind of their guy at that time. And then uh, we're, we're coming back on December 31st, you know, that we're, we're leaving at 6 a.m. to get to our flight in San Diego. And we just literally 12, 14 guys piled into a 10 passenger van with all of our gear and to get across the border. 
and drop us off at the airport. Of course, we get to the airport, and one guy says, my, my, I left my passport at the hotel. Oh, good luck. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we got practice on the second back of Bellingham. We'll see you there. You're, you're a pro. So, it's a big surprise um, that the league le- left didn't work it. out, hey? Well, it, well, what's interesting is we ended up playing Tijuana later, mm. and they had they had a guy that they had signed that played he played six or eight home games for them. Guy named Dennis Rodman. Hmm. Heard of him? He hmm. heard of him. Yeah. So our owner says, "Hey, how do we get Rodman to play? We have Tijuana coming up at the end of January, early February. How do we get Rodman to come up?" What so he ends up that? signing a personal. This is this is uh, two thousand six. Wow. 2006. That's so Rodman is close. Ago, man. Nope. So I mean, just after watching episode three there of uh, Rodman heading off to Vegas, it's very similar because Rodman signs a personal contract with with the Bellingham owner to play for Tijuana on the Friday night game in Bellingham, and he pays him. I, I believe it was like twelve thousand dollars. He had to fly him first class. He had to have his own hotel room at the highest rated hotel in Bellingham, which I believe might be three and a half stars if you're lucky, and he had to have his own locker room. And then they had to hire the they hired a bunch of the local uh, guys at Western that were playing hoops there to to be his bodyguards. No way. But, yeah. So he had they had they if you see ever see pictures of the bench, there's some pictures of the game floating on the internet. There's these guys in yellow jackets, and they because they only traveled, they still they only brought like eight guys, and Robin was their ninth guy, and he warmed up in uh, basically a white tank top with his game shorts and sock feet, and. Never took any, you know, that's when he had, you know, he just went ahead and just normal blonde hair and he had all the tattoos and he had all the, the jewelry all over his face. Game starts, he's, you know, he starts and crowd's yelling him to shoot. We're letting him shoot. And he's, he's just jacking it up, but he's rebounding the heck out of it. About two minutes in, he gets a rebound, calls timeout, starts walking over to the bench and takes his uniform top off. And I, I can see the owner's like, what's going on? And he sits down and it looks like he's going to start untying his shoes, but he motions for the trainer to come over. It's because he needed his nipple rings taped down. <laughs> so they taped him all up and he put his shirt jersey back on timeout ended he got back in the game he played he, he played the whole game uh you know sat out a couple minutes took a bunch of shots still one of the strongest guys we had a big post player that was that was an awesome big strong guy and he could just hold that guy off with little hand robin was i mean he was freakishly strong and that was robin and then you know later in the year uh tim hardaway the UTEP two-step, he came into town and played with the Florida Pit Bulls. Wow. So it, it was a league that had had some really high highs and some really, really low lows. You know, we played in some really dumpy places with nobody there. And then getting to the uh, the playoffs, we played, played Pittsburgh and Pittsburgh at the at the new new facility at the University of Pittsburgh. And then after that game, the other guy, the assistants at Rindow, they had to teach. They were teaching. And I, I didn't – I was coaching golf and had a part-time job at that time. So – they flew back, and I had to drive with the players. We drove from Pittsburgh to Rochester, New York, for the for the Elite Eight of the ABA, and oh, then I ended up coaching the team to make it out in time. And we lost to San Jose in the Elite Eight, and that was that was the end of my pro career pretty much at that point. Because Rids called me after that and said, "Yeah, you know, appreciate everything, but uh, we're going to go in another direction." So, you know, it was it was a fantastic, crazy year, and the first time I ever got, I ever got fired from a coaching job. <laughs> Deep down, were you that upset? I, you know, it was it, it, it was good because it was it, it wasn't bad. It kind of forced me to move on to some other things, and uh, you know, kind of some decision for me to get back to school, finish my degree, which you know cool. led me to the opportunity eventually to end up at Quest. Yeah, so I think that's important. So, okay, during the ABA time, are you single? Uh, no. Okay. Uh, at that point, I was not. No. Okay. Are you writing letters or 
like saying, I hope I see you when I get back when you're on your way to Tijuana or. <laughs> they, they were just, I mean, most of the road trips were two or three days. They weren't, they weren't too crazy. You'd go down and play two or three games. And, and we played a lot of games in the Seattle area. There was a team in Bellevue and a team in Tacoma that halfway through the season, they folded. Mm-hmm. And in one of the games, our GM, kind of the guy that was kind of running our, the, the team in the town, he went into the locker room with a Bellevue. So what he ended up doing was he gave a little bit of cash so those guys could get home to the coach in exchange for keeping the Bellevue uniforms. And then we were able to use those Bellevue uniforms and then we would fill it kind of like Washington Generals mm-hmm. because we had them coming back up on the schedule to make sure that we had a team to play because other teams were folding. We would play quote unquote Bellevue and we would just bring dudes in to put in those uniforms and just beat them. But it was an entertaining basketball game. Wow. Wow. There's, there were some different rules in the ABA. You could, if you made a shot from behind a half court, it was worth four points. Wow. Okay. They have the 3D rule. So if you got a steal in the backcourt, the light would go on either behind the backboard or at the, at the table. And if you scored in that possession, you got a bonus point. <laughs> what? So it was encouraging. You'd encourage pressing. Right. Just because if you get a turnover, you can get that as long as the ball was passed or left. It, they, the, the ref had the little hand signal. It was like doing the hang 10 sign with your thumb and pinky. The ref would do that sign and the 3D rule would come into effect for that possession. Wow. That's awesome. So you could have the five point play. You could have the N1-3, which was actually worth four plus the free throw. Never saw it, but it was, it was an option. That's like the big three. Don't they have different like three point spots that you can shoot from? Yeah. Four point yeah. spot and stuff. Yeah. Like MTV oh. rock, and, rock and Jock. Rock and Jock. Wow. Okay, so the ABA wraps up. Like you said, you, you okay, I need to go in a different direction. You go to Western Washington, you finish your degree, and then the opportunity at Quest comes up, and you're thinking, I want to be a head coach. I'm willing to do this thing. Yeah, it was an opportunity I never thought would come along. At that point, I was I, I had started a master's program to get my mm-hmm. teaching certification. I had graduated with a BA in history, and I'd started a master's program uh, to get my teaching certification in Washington. Yep. I was coaching golf at Meridian. Like I said, I had a former player that played in, for me when he was a sophomore. And Quest had been there one year. And I knew that Steve Anderson, the head coach that had gotten the job, and he called me and said, you know any players? And Bryce Froberg, I knew, was looking for a place to play. And so I took him to the ID camp. And Bryce played there his first year. And I was just coaching as an assistant at Blaine High School. I was going to school. Their coach had hired me to just come help him out. I'm sitting, you know, I was probably in the clubhouse having something to eat when the phone rang at, at, during quote, golf practice. And it was the recreation director at Quest University slash athletic director and said, hey, we're looking for a coach. And Bryce gave me your name and said, you might be interested. And odd that an AD would ask a 19-year-old kid who, who should coach, but you just don't know when you're going to get these opportunities. And luckily, I'd finished my degree. So I said, yeah, you know, why not? I'll, I'll come up and I'll interview. I didn't think I'd have any shot of doing it. I came up, we toured campus, sat down to talk. And he said, okay, at the end, we didn't actually have an interview. Said, uh, okay, this is what the job pays. Uh, let me know on Monday if you want it. I was kind of blown away. I didn't, that's not what I expected. So <laughs> I actually went back to Blaine and I, and I, I told the coach, I called him and said, this is the situation. I, and at that point I said, you know what? I'd rather just, you're talking about stepping down in a year. This is in April. I said, if you step down now and you give me, you guys give me the head coaching job at Blaine, I'll just, I'll take that and I'll keep doing my, my, my master's. And in a year I'll have my certification and and then yeah, I can start as a sub and I'll coach basketball and sub until I know there's a couple guys that are close to retiring in the, in the history department. And I'll just ride out in the sunset, being the Blaine high school boys basketball coach and, and teaching history. Mm-hmm. And he said, 
no, I want to coach one more year. So I kind of said, okay, I'm taking this job in Canada. Mm-hmm. I am. Wow. So I am living in, living in Surrey. Got to get a part-time job at, and I'd been working at it, uh, selling bags and, and shoes at Golf Town in Langley. Mm-hmm. And okay. commuting up and coaching at Quest. Wow. Took that opportunity to just do in the grind. Yeah. It's funny, I think, because everybody, especially that are involved in sport, like comes to a point where it's like my playing career is coming to an end or this is coming to an end or I need to make this move, you know? And and like for me, one of the ones was I probably shouldn't have played my fourth year at Langara, right? Like I should have just finished after three and then tried to move on, but I didn't. And then it was like, okay, well, where am I going to finish that one year? And it was like, I guess I'm going to go to Brandon, Manitoba. And it ended up being a really good decision for me for a lot of reasons. But sometimes, you know, and it's just interesting, you're sitting in that office, like, and at least that person was honest enough with you to tell you, like, hey, no, I'm going to come back, not let you dangle. But there's that, that path in life where it's like, okay, I'm either going one direction or I'm going the other. And you went for it. That's, that's wild. Yeah, I, I was like, I, I don't think I'll ever get this shot again. I was more mm-hmm. content, I think, and I would have been happy staying because at that point, I'm like, I had been up and I had been to, you know, I'd been to the provincial tournament when it when it was downtown at GM Place for Rogers or whatever it was. Cal, I remember watching Jordy McTavish playing and and some crazy yeah. guy coaching McNair wearing the fedora. Yeah, that clown. You know, you know, he, he, yeah, that guy. So, <laughs> I, but I didn't really have a whole, I, I didn't have a whole lot of understanding of what was the level was like in that. And for me, growing up coaching at the high school level and teaching that was that was what I wanted to do but yeah I was like what the heck here's a, here's an opportunity that, that who knows if I if I get it if I'll get it again mm-hmm. and I didn't interview for it it just it just it happened because you just put your head down and work and 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 that's and that's where you go so so yeah so then I I, I take on the quest job and and that was a complete eye-opener I mean you're taking on a school that who knows even how much longer that's gonna there it's even gonna be around mm-hmm. you know it's a liberal li- private liberal arts institution uh, there was I believe about 60 students on campus when I got the job. Wow. Total. They had one building of dorms, one building of classrooms, uh, and then the gym and the turf field that they were putting in that summer to mm-hmm. start a soccer program because that was gen- that was going to generate students was athletics, the positive way that athletics can help a campus. Mm-hmm. So I said, what the heck, I'll take it. And immediately half the team had already transferred or left. I had four guys on the roster and I'm, and I'm scrambling to get guys. And I'm already behind the eight ball on, on that. And we pick a couple guys up and we started that season, nine players. So, and one of them was a international student from Bhutan who barely could make any practices because he was just trying to get through school. So <laughs> really, we had, we had, we had eight guys and we had you know some interesting times. Ken Dockendorf can relate. <laughs> with only, with only a lot of, you guys. A lot of yeah, three, on three Doc's a master. <laughs> a lot of three on three, a lot of standing in the middle of a two, three zone coaching and pl- trying to play at the same time. I had begged the women's coach, a guy named Norm Han, who was uh, uh, an all Canadian. At one point he was, I don't know if he still is, he played at Laurentian, was the OUA all-time leading scorer, career leading scorer, and uh, played a little with the national team. And he ended up in Squamish and they hired him as the women's coach. And I could get him to come out and play. And, and if I played, we, we had 10. Right. But being, you know, being an interesting school that way, it was, you know, it, we just tried to get through that first season and not get, you know, we came close, we went, we went over. And then I believe it was three years later, I think I started the season with 18 because I was like, there's no way I'm ever going to have eight guys. Right. 
And then, um, you end up, and then you end up building a program and you're not going to be the person that's going to pat yourself on the back, but because you're still in the middle of your coaching career and you're still trying to accomplish things, but you get to the point where Quest is hosting the national championships and, you know, that's got to be pretty rewarding and pretty cool as someone who is the AD and the head coach of the men's basketball program to be able to get things to that point. And that's the thing that I respect about you. And, but for me, listening to you and the thing that I've respected about you is like, I just, I, how do you just let your guard down and take all those risks? Like, what is it that, what is it that inside of you? Is it, is it just, I, I don't really give a flying, you know what, or like, how do you allow yourselves to, to just jump around through those situations other than having a sugar mama um, <laughs> who makes the real money at home, but just kidding, busting your chops, you know that. But like the thing I admire about you is like your journey. Like I've said, you've jumped around so many times and how do you, how, like, is it just because your drive for basketball was so deep and your passion to just be a coach? Uh, because for me, people say, oh, you, you know, you should think about coaching college. And I'm always like thinking about everything from A to Z. And I, you know, I get uncomfortable thinking about it. So does that question make sense? It does, but I never really looked at it. As, I mean, I guess it, it just became a matter of not, I, I didn't ever really set out looking for a goal. Like I said, I never really... Yeah thought when I was coaching high school or my first goal was to be a high school head coach. So I, I was an assistant at Ferndale for seven years before I even applied. And I, I, I got the first head coaching high school job because back then you still, most, most jobs went to teachers and I didn't have that certification at that point. Right. So, so getting the Meridian job was like, well, that, this is a big deal. Like this, this is, this could be the pinnacle at, you know, at age 28, 29, this, this could be the pinnacle of my coaching career. And then, you know, when that kind of came to an end and then I just reached out to Ridnow and it, it wasn't really ever, that was really the only time I really reached out, you know, until, until after I left Quest for a job. And then things just kind of came along. You just kind of take the opportunities. And I think you put your head down, you work hard, you do things the right way. And, mm-hmm. and that's how you end up with opportunities right. and you just don't know. And you have to make the decision, you know, and, Every time you're going to get an opportunity, whether you're a, a player coming out, you have to decide, you know, are you going to go, you know, like, you know, we, we deal with it now at, at UBC and deal with it at SFU. Am I going to take that low major division one quote unquote ride or do I stay in Canada at a good institution, you know, and play it's play at a very similar level? Do I, uh, you know, I'm kind of a tweener guy. Do I, do I want to go start? at Langara and get a lot of minutes at Langara or Quest or, or Douglas or Capilano, or I'm, mm-hmm. am I content because, oh, I, I have to play Canada West right away and right. I end up and I go sit on the bench. And, and I think that's guys have to make the decision. So I just, mm-hmm. at that point for that Quest job, it was like, hey, here's an opportunity and, and why not? I've got, you know, I wasn't, I didn't have to quit a job at that point to do it. And then as things went and evolved at Quest and the reason I left there was I kind of knew what was going to be going on. And, and, you know, anybody that's familiar knows that they cut their varsity athletics program and then yeah. went their way and to end up where I am today. It's, I was jumping around as much as I just, I worked and opportunities came up and yeah. I just made right. the decision that at the, at the moment, I, I don't regret any decisions that I made going backwards. I don't really think I look back and say, you know, what if this, that, I mean, there may be a little bit younger in my career. There could have been, I might've probably go back and make slightly different decisions as yeah. we all do in our youth. Mm-hmm. And I had a passion for basketball I, and, and I, I enjoyed coaching and I enjoyed the kids I was around. I, I, you know, still in contact with a lot of guys that have coached some, 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 some guys love you. Some guys hate you. That's just the reality. Yeah. You know, there's guys that there, there's guys that I never going to talk to me and probably still curse. And especially some of those guys in the early years at quest, I don't blame them. I was, I was a miserable SOP at times because we took it on the head a lot and lost a lot early. And, and it was, it was a bit of a struggle, but I think it's just a little bit of you enjoy the process and going through that. And, you know, 
seeing these guys grow up and mature and, and going to their weddings and, and, and running into them later on or, or getting texts or communicating with them. Those are the things that are the, the bigger deal. And, and that's funny. And you got, you know, you know, too, Mitch being around a while when you run into these guys, you, you'll talk about games and stuff, but it's not necessarily the wins and losses that you, you talk about. Sometimes it's more the losses than the wins, but yeah, you, you know, you don't talk about running this, you know, what you do is you talk about the experience you had together yeah. and the stories that you had, you know, going through that whole process of what it is. And to me, that's, that's the big thing about coaching. For sure. You nailed that. I just, the road trips and the funny moments and the things that we all learn to develop from. And then somehow you're not even, when you're a coach, you're not even thinking about it. And then somehow you're passing that down to you. And then you bump into those people and they have the same stories. And it's, that's, ah, man, gives me the shivers. Cause I just love that stuff. I think that is ultimately, no matter what level you are, that's what coaching truly is. And, and that's so cool to hear that you still feel that and sense that. And and then upon reflection, like knowing I'm, I'm the same, like I know when I was a young coach at STM trying to get going, there's things that I would have done differently. But like you say, we all just learn and grow. And, and that's the big thing is continuing to reflect and grow and grow and grow and, and, and try to be better than we were. Right. And so now, right, you, you run a great program at Quest, things don't work out there. They want to go in a different direction. You do a couple of assistant jobs and now you're at UBC and you're, you're at a position now where you have a lot of, you're the defensive coach, right? Kev's been giving you the defense. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah. And then, you know, you're involved in recruiting. So you're, you know, you're on a plane, you're looking at a lot of different guys, like for maybe some young basketball guys and, and, and girls that are out there that are listening and hopefully they are, what is it that separates just from the talent? Cause you see a lot of talent. So is it is it when you sit down with that athlete or just have a chance to talk to them or maybe you don't even get the opportunity? Is it body language? Is it what are you looking for outside of the talent and the scope of what they can do on the basketball court? Well, I think you're right. I think any most of us, you know, anybody's probably listening to podcasts, especially coaches, you you, you know who the best players on the floor are. You, it's pretty easy to pick out the best guy in the gym and the best guy in the province and the best guy in the state. It's finding the guy that's going to be the right fit for the for the for the program that you're at. And somebody that may have been a fit at Quest may not necessarily be a fit at, at another institution in the same conference. For me, I mean, I I do watch body language. I watch guys when they go to the bench, when they get subbed out, how they act with their teammates. Because you know, sometimes I think a little bit is you can tell what that person's going to be like. You're not going to change a lot if you're. 17, 18, and, and that's the way you're acting. You're disrespectful to your coaches. You're disrespectful to the officials or to your parents. Are you really going to be that different when we're trying to coach you? And we're, when we're, and we're going to even give you more responsibility on the road because we're not going to tuck you into bed. <laughs> we're, not going to, we're not going to hold your hand through everything. We're, we're not going to drive you and drop you off at, at class. You've got to have some responsibility and, 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 and be a grown-up and be, be mature enough to take care of and handle that responsibility on. So and, and as you do it, you start to kind of figure out what cues you do and don't like. And each coach is a little different. And I think the, the more you go through it, the better you become at it and, mm-hmm. and picking those, those, picking those things up, which do and don't work. And then for me, I've pretty much always been at high academic institutions. You know, Quest was very different being liberal arts and then both SFU and UBC have a high academic standard. So, you know, you asked earlier, you know, we talked earlier about going back and making decisions and choices. I was a terrible, lazy student in high school and it cost me. I didn't have the opportunities. I ended up playing junior college because I didn't have the grades to go to some of the division three NAI schools that I recruited me because I couldn't get in there. Right. And so now, you know, so many kids that, that come across my desk, you may be a fantastic basketball player and a great person, but 
you're not doing the job in school, we, we can't even have this discussion. It just, your name just gets erased out of the database because or you get dropped to the bottom of the spreadsheet because we just can't get you into school. Mm-hmm. To me, that's the biggest thing is being able to take care of academics and just really just be a good person off yeah. the court because the talent is going to be is what it is and you can work hard and you and that's going to show on the court but it's those yeah. other things that are going to separate you and being a recruitable athlete at the higher level off the floor yeah you know bad you know if you just have a bad attitude that way and we and we see it all the time that you just don't last or you end, you end up having to transfer multiple times and, and your career usually fizzles out and you just don't end up playing a lot right especially for five years like you've got to deal with the same coach, the same system, you know, you need people that are going to go like, and at 17, 18, we're not even close to peaking athletically or even emotionally, right? So the amount of change that happens when you're at university and a lot of these athletes are going to be away from home out of their comfort zone, like you say, not holding your hand and a lot of responsibility gets put on you, a lot of things to identify. So it's got to be a challenging thing and got to be more than just, okay, nice player but where do they fit in with what we're trying to accomplish as a program exactly and i I think the the biggest struggle that young kids have coming and adapting to the next level is you've gone from being the best being told Mm -hmm. you're the best and being treated uh, and i don't mean treated in the negative way like you kid with kid gloves but you step on the floor and and that entire team's practices prior to that game was geared around stopping you now you're an 18 year old kid coming into a program especially when you're stepping into like a program like UBC or you're 18 years old mm-hmm. well you you're battling guys that are 23 24 they're all Canadian level guys that are moving on to play pro next year so it, that is a massive step up and I think a lot of the younger guys struggle with that because well I, I was great in high school everybody told me I was great you know yeah. I, I had all the success I, I put up all these points in, in in these AAU tournaments and I I put up 30 you know 30 a game in, in BC high school but now as you step up it, it starts to it starts to become more and more difficult. And that's where I'm saying the other things can then your work ethic, whether it's in the classroom or on the court, in the weight room, individuals, you know, you, you're taking care of your body, you know, not eating the uh, chips and candy that you got from the cheerleaders every day. <laughs> like those things, you know, start to really make a difference because yeah. as there's less and less people playing, it's it's the small little things that, that really make a difference in, in whether you can continue to, to rise to the top. Awesome. That's like amazing stuff, man. And hopefully some people have some open ears and are listening because these are huge nuggets that I don't think a lot of people are willing to, you know, share and, or do they ever get the opportunity to hear, right? Like when a kid's getting recruited, they don't really know. So they're just doing what people are telling them. And that's a lot of times is just blowing a lot of smoke. So that's awesome. Last question before we kind of move into the rapid fire and and get you out of here, because You've been super generous with your time tonight and the stories have been unbelievable dying inside. And I can't wait to just Google ABA and see what I can come up with Dennis Rodman. Um, Your journey has been vast. So going back, what would be some advice we would have? Let's just say for a young coach in BC or in Canada, we don't want this podcast to just be focused on BC. We want it to move in bigger directions, but like uh, what, what would you say in terms of someone who wants to be a coach how do you go about that process? What's some advice that you might give? You know, and I, I think even overall basketball-wise, we're at a bit of a crossroads, you know, especially, I know country's a little different, but, you know, especially BC, where, where are we going with high school basketball versus the club system? And, and both do a phenomenal job of what they're trying to do. And, and that's understandable. They, they can work together, and I, and I think they do. I, I think what I see is I don't see a lot of younger coaches coaching. I see a lot of them involved in the club scene, 
where you know your your practices are limited. You're playing a bunch of tournaments on the weekends. You're you're doing individual work with kids, and it's tough because you're getting paid. And that's the big difference. Is if I go work for a club, if I'm 22 years old and I've just finished my playing career, or I haven't played and I and I just try to step in and I, I want to get involved in basketball, I can go work for a club and get paid. Whereas if I go mm-hmm. coach at the high school level, I, I'm not getting anything. And I, and right. I think that's where there's there's a little bit of struggle going on right now with coaching development. When I first got up here, it was the same programs, whether it was the Agrodome, when it moved out to the LEC, it was the same programs, right? It was White Rock Christian, it was Pitt Meadows, it was Kitsilano, it was the same programs continually making it back to the tournament, you know, at, at the 3A level. And I, and I know you're a, you were a 2A guy at that point, I'm trying, but it was this, yeah. and those were program guys and guys that coach, who's replacing those guys? Those guys are retiring. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And, and there are a few of those around. I don't, you know, I'm not saying there's not, but it just seems like I, the more and more I go into gyms and I went into a, a tournament a year ago out at Pine Tree and I just didn't, I didn't know any of the coaches. There was three games going on and I had never met any of the coaches and I'd been mm-hmm. around long enough, you know, 10, 11 years at that point recruiting. They'd all, they were all new coaches, familiar schools, but new coaches. And I think if I'm a young guy, it's tough because it's like, well, I can get paid 30 bucks an hour to, to go work for a club. And if I go here, it's not, I just wish kids would would mix it up, do both, mm-hmm. work your club, spend some time in the schools. And then on the flip side, if, if you think you want to coach and make a career, I mean, and really not just be a club guy where I'm blessed now through this COVID thing, I, I, I'm still getting a paycheck. The club mm-hmm. guys are not because they're not getting any revenue coming in. And, that, and it's mm-hmm. going to be difficult. And hopefully they all can recover and, and no one gets in trouble with that. But I think the, the thing that's, that's happening is it'd be great to see those club guys go volunteer at Alangara. I, I know at UBC, we talk about that. We, we'd love to have a young guy come volunteer and be in and be an assistant. That's what is the words volunteer. That's just the reality that, that sometimes you're, you're getting paid in experience. And I got paid in experience early. Like I said, my ABA experience was phenomenal. I, and I, I got paid in experience, not in cash and having the opportunity to do those things. And if you want to make a career and coach in the collegiate ranks, volunteering your time to do that and learning, because I guarantee you, you go be, you go to Douglas and be Joe Emmons as an assistant or, or, or Cassie Kanemeyer, who, who was my assistant for five years before he mm-hmm. ended up getting the job at Capilano. Paul Eberhardt, guy that I luxury of coaching under on a, on two times on provincial teams, mm-hmm. learned a ton from him. Mm-hmm. Uh, nothing on the defensive side, but I still learned a ton from him. <laughs> but you know, uh, go volunteer there. Like th- those guys aren't yeah. going to say no to having you come out. You know, and, and at the end, they're going to yeah. work hard to try and get some and take care of you best they can. And then when those jobs come open, there, there's that opportunity. I think what happens is we don't have that younger generation of coaches that are coming through that are going to take over you know, you're kind of that next generation of guys. And then when you're gone, like who's, who's going to coach and who's, who's going to be willing to put, put the time into these kids, especially in the high school or, you know, going forward into, you know, into the college links and the CCAA and the Pac West. So I I just think that, you know, as as a young coach, I think if that's what you're looking to do, take a chance. Like I did, like just, just jump at it and go make some phone calls, put no different than when we get recruiting resumes from players that are, some are done really well. And if I could say that to players too, if you're going to send an email to a coach, Make sure you get the coach's name right. Don't just cut and paste and call and and and, and yeah. you know call me something else or or say that you'd be a good fit at, at a school that I'm no longer at or was never at. Um, if you're going to put a tape together, it doesn't bother me. But for a lot of coaches, if it's if it's you know if it's full of dirty language, you can find a clean edit version or no words and spell correctly, correct punctuation. Like spell checks, pretty simple on a computer these days. Do those things, but no different as a coach together which what, what you can bring to the table and i think younger guys can bring a lot that us older dinosaurs are in the way of social media and i you know we, we signed a recruit today and i've spent probably three hours trying to do a very simple 
Instagram post so that I could get it out on the internet and somebody else could probably help us out. And that would be valuable because then, then when you're going to get a job, I'd be more than happy to help you out and get you, and help you get that job or do the situation where, you know, I've been of service to somebody when they got the opportunity to help me out and hire me, they've done that. So I think that's the thing I'd like to say to the younger coaches is take a shot and coach at a higher level. You, you may be shocked that you may think, well, that's above my, it's not. You, hmm. Sometimes having an extra coach, you're there to learn. I had the opportunity when I first started coaching under a Hall of Fame guy at Ferndale. I learned so much in my first two years there. And then he started giving me some autonomy to do things. So you'd be surprised, I think, if you step out of your comfort zone a little bit and and not just say, well, I'll just, I'll just take my 25 bucks an hour to coach you know, coach a U12 club team. Yeah, huge. Stepping out of the comfort zone, like just taking those risks and that's how you learn and that's how you grow. And I agree with you totally, you know, being 42 and been at STM, this is my 16th year and just thinking about what does it look like going forward and, and when all these people retire, where's the pay it forward? Like where's the, hey, a lot of people put time in for me and I want to be able to give back and not from a financial place, just because it's just the right thing to do. So I'm, I'm on board with that. Corbs, before we go into the, uh, you know, little rapid fire here on Shooky, do you have any questions or comments, anything that you want to ask? Obviously, you're a young, young coach, and I know you love just sitting here listening to these conversations, and you're taking a lot of things in. But do you have any, any, anything for Sean? I don't know. Will I? Will you guys see uh, Corbin Cash as uh, part of the Douglas College coaching staff anytime soon? I don't know, but. Uh... <laughs> nothing comes to mind. <laughs> nothing comes to mind. The best part about podcasting is we can edit out a lot of things, and we'll probably just erase that part from Corbin right there. Exactly. Yeah. Well, obviously, I want to ask Denzel stories. So. Uh... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Give us a Denzel. Oh, you, I, you want a Denzel? So yeah. So well, I, I, well, I, I will have to say. I will give Denzel was one of Denzel would have come in. See, Denzel would have fourth year guy. So it was him and Andrew Morris. I, I remember probably. The first time I'd been to the chancellor was that year. It was Denzel's grade 12 year coming mm-hmm. in and watching in the old gym when it was completely packed coming to watch you guys play your first game and then your semifinals on the Friday night. I don't remember who you played, but I, 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 I will give Cassidy Cannemeyer credit. Like Cassidy probably watched as many STM games as most of your, that year as most of your parents did. I, I think he was probably at 80% of the games because Denzel had played for me. That is true, actually. I remember him sitting in the crowd all the time. Yeah, didn't did he coach the provincial team or something? There was no uh, Eberhardt and I had coached the U seventeen team that previous summer. Yeah, with Denzel on it because the previous summer I was the U sixteen coach and I cut Denzel. He didn't make it. Right. He made it as a U seventeen player. Uh, we took third at I think we played that was at Nationals at Humber. We took third and and he was a guy I looked at and prior to that time I'd coached. Uh, the Canada Games team in 09 and, and all those guys played uh, U Sports level or CIS at that time level or higher. Uh, some Division One guys, they'd all played at a high level. But Denzel, I looked at it as he was kind of on that tweener where I thought his size was going to shy away some guys. Fantastic family, great student, just had that natural leadership and guys were drawn to him. I don't think I've ever met somebody that doesn't like Denzel. And when you talked about earlier, what I look, that's a guy like that's a quest guy. He's a great fit for what we're trying to build. And, and so Cassidy, you know, he went to all the games and we worked hard on Denzel, had him up on a visit. 
And then I remember the day that he committed because I was at a friend's daughter's dance recital, didn't have my phone on. And I get out of the recital and I'm looking at my phone and I probably have 10 texts from Mr. Mitchell there saying, answer your damn phone. Denzel's trying to call and commit to you. (laughs) Denzel had been calling me, hadn't left a voicemail, which is awesome that he wanted to actually talk to me to tell me he was coming. But I just get these texts and then you can tell they're just getting angrier and angrier and angrier. Like, what's going on, man? You're screwing it up. You're going to lose him. You're going to lose him. And so I, I get out and I check my phone and I got to run to my car and, and call Denzel and get the message that he, that he was coming. And, and then I think he had a, he, he had a great four years. Like we finished bronze first ever match at nationals the next year. And he played in that and then started a couple of years. And, you know, his last year, unfortunately, I don't, we didn't uh, I think we were ranked fourth in the country and lost and got upset in the semifinals by Camosun and didn't get to go to nationals, but like fantastic kid. Um, you know, went on and got his accounting stuff after just a, one, one of the, one of the guys that I had really, really enjoyed coaching and being around every single day for four years. Yeah. He definitely didn't lack any energy. Did he? Not at all. <laughs> yeah. Not at all. Yeah. I think, uh, Corbin probably wanted you to roast him a little more, but it's pretty hard to say bad things about Dens. He's, <laughs> he's a, he's a, he's a, he's a, he's a yeah. He's a tough guy to roast because he doesn't uh, he doesn't usually get himself in trouble. You know, I'm trying to think of stories where he actually did something, and I don't remember him actually being any of the guys that got in trouble on the road. He wasn't any of the guys that, when we had a road trip to Portland, got uh, got mistakenly identified and arrested by the Portland police. Uh, you know, he wasn't one of those guys. Uh, didn't get in trouble. He didn't. He didn't get in trouble in the dance club in Prince George. That, he wasn't one of those guys. So, you know, he pretty much. Uh, <laughs> Kept his nose to the his nose to the grindstone and and did his work academically and and turned out to a pretty pretty good ball player at the CCAA level, and clearly a super boring human being. <laughs> <laughs> All right, buddy. Before we get you on your way here, got some random questions for you. Who was your favorite player growing up? I I don't, I don't know if you would. I mean, like I said, didn't have cable, so we had to get stuff, and we would get the occasional Sonics game. So this is early '80s growing up. So. Loved it. Loved Jack Sigma. That was my guess. Oh, that was it. Yes. Yeah. I, I'm like, I, I, I even, Sigma. when we were talking about the mullet earlier, Sigma at one point had the nice perm. I went, I, I, I rocked the perm in grade nine. Oh, Cause I thought Lord. I could be Sigma. Oh yes. I know it's, it's in, it's in a yearbook somewhere. It was right. Sean. So no, <laughs> so Sigma, I mean, I, I don't really remember. I mean, I was seven. I would have been seven when they won the world championship. But going up, my dad taking me down. I remember the first game I watched was was against the Rockets. Don't even know who played. I just know Sigma played Gus Johnson being on that team. And then and then growing up and being a little bit older and being a big fan when you know through the '90s, you know with Peyton and Kemp. But growing up as a growing up as a kid, it was it was Sigma, and then it became Tom Chambers through high school. Obviously, yes. All right. So if you had to take a guess, who in your mind is the greatest basketball player of all time? Well, it's not a guess. It's a fact. It's Jordan. Like there, you, you can't argue with it. Love it. Quick to the answer. Let them I mean, I, I, yeah. I, I, that's why Twitter's driving me crazy with the young bucks talking. Like, watch, just watch them. Yeah. The average forty-five and you know six. It would. The, the, it's. It's just. We're. I think it doesn't matter. We're never going to convince this generation that that our generation was better. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying a word, Sean. <laughs> Catch up on macaroni. I no problem with that whatsoever. Ah. <sighs> Uh, and, 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 and I saw the Twitter poll a few days ago. I, I just, I will have sauce on anything, whether it's ketchup or tartar sauce or hot sauce. Sauce can go on anything. It can, it can liven up any dish. The only thing I won't do yeah. is I will not put ketchup on steak. 
Thank you. Thank you very much. <clears throat> Detlef Shrimp Lover out there. Stay <laughs> completely offside. Thank you. Thank you for that. That's an important, that might be the most important thing you said all, all day today. Thank you. The greatest chip out there. You're on an island. You've got one bag to grab. It is. Oof. Oof. You yeah. have one bag. Oof. I, I've got to go. And I, don't, I don't know if you can call them a chip. They're probably in the chip family. But the Hawkins cheesies. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. No, I know it. It's your world. I mean, it's kind of in the family. It's it's in the it's in the salty snack family. I think I. I but if I had to go like a traditional chip, it'd be a salt and vinegar. Oh God, man! The roof of your mouth just gets ripped to shreds. No. Yeah, but if you're stuck on an on an island, you're not gonna. I'm not gonna. I'm not lasting very long on an island. I'm not. I, <laughs> I, I mean, let's be honest. I'm not. I'm not starting a fire. I'm not killing anything. I'm not. I, I'm not hanging out with Wilson like Tom Hanks did. If I'm if I'm stranded on an island, I'm gonna enjoy it, right? You want to talk about defending a pick and roll or something? Like we're we're good there. But we start talking about me having my survival skills. Give me that bag of chips. I'll make it last a couple of days, and then and then I and then I, and then that's it. That's it for me, anyways. I'm not waiting for that passing ship to come by. Just kidding. so you're just accepting your fate at that point. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just accepting my fate. I'm done. I, I hey, know your role, and and being a survivalist, not not my role. Fair, fair, <laughs> fair. Two more questions for you. The most important person in your life has been probably my dad. Just as a kid, he had no idea about sports really at all. He coached my baseball teams growing up and he would go to the library and check out books about baseball because he had no idea what it was. But he wanted to be, but in order for me to play, he needed to coach because there wasn't going to be a coach. It wouldn't be a team because of how rural we were. Um, awesome. So he did that. You know, he would take me, he had no interest at that point of taking me to a Sonics game or down to a Seahawks game, or my, he'd always take my brother and I down to, you know, we'd usually go early in the year to a Mariners game because he knew that we liked it. My brother didn't literally like sports either. You know, growing up, he didn't, didn't play. He wasn't that great, more musician kind of guy. And so my dad being able to and show interest in that and, and come home and, and play catch and, you know, come out and play horse, even though, you know, probably when I was 10, I could beat him. But just him doing that and being supportive, like he still comes to every game. Every time I see him, it's, you know, especially lately, it's been, well, have you signed anybody lately? Who are you guys recruiting? What, what are you doing? Who, who, how you're replacing Kohi? Who's going to replace Man Roop? Mm -hmm. Right. It's just, it's a constant, like he just, he's so, he's, he's so, I was talking to him last night and then he texted me this morning and wanted me to send him, if I had any highlight films of the guy that, that I'd talked to him last night about. So he's, he's super invested in that and super supportive. He, you know, he'd drive up to, you know, drive up to Squamish to our home games and him and my mom flew out to Halifax last year for nationals. But that, to me, he's just been there. He's, you know, he was gone a lot working. Like he worked up in the Arctic in the summer. So he would literally leave May 1st and we wouldn't see him until Halloween except for a week in August. So he really did a great job of making up for lost time when he wasn't there at that point. So he's just been kind of always been supportive and whatever, even when I was a screw up <laughs> at times and, you know, probably questions the decisions I was making and maybe not had made the decisions I wanted. And at one point he was really pushing me, I think when I was 19, 20 and had finished playing and gotten hurt. He, I think he would have been happy if I had enrolled and en enlisted in the military like he did, but I never did. And he never, you know, so it, just his support by the way has been, been amazing. That's awesome. Great answer. Okay. Last one before we let you go. Best player you've seen coached against played against had the opportunity to be in the present. It's a tough one to answer. because There's a lot of guys. We, we touched on a couple of guys. I mean, Jason Terry, when he was in high school, was phenomenal. And, and being able to watch a lot of Luke 
excuse me, Luke Ridenour, outside of going to a game and been lucky enough to, to watch MJ when he played in Seattle one game mm-hmm. um, or, or TV, I think just Robin was fun. Tim Hardaway was on the end of his career when, when, when I saw him play. And But I, I think going back to what I said earlier, watching Ray Allen uh, in a yeah. workout was probably as close to being around somebody that was as perfect of a basketball player as you could. Just the dude didn't miss and he went full speed. It wasn't like he was just, you know, catching the ball, spinning it and getting his feet set. I mean, going full speed through an hour workout, getting up a thousand shots or so, it seemed like, and shooting 95%. Yeah. That to me was probably one of the most like, wow, like eye-opening, watching one guy shoot for an hour and just being blown away by how everything was so consistent. And then he obviously proved it being able to be that. So he's probably being that close to that guy. That's probably the closest I've been to a guy that's like, wow, this, this is just a completely different level of athlete and basketball player. How wet was that jumper? Oh, it was phenomenal. Yeah. And it was, just, it, 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 and it was, and it was just pure and pretty. And, 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 that, and the thing was, that wasn't the only thing to his game. I mean, that he, he, it, for sure. Wasn't just a catch and shoot. He wasn't just a catch and shoot guy, but the fact is he could have just been a flat out straight up, just stand outside and catch and shoot guy, but he had other stuff to his game. So, and then phenomenal actor too. I mean, she won an Oscar. Jesus Shuttlesworth, baby. Great movie. <laughs> I don't have much else, man. That was, this has been, an, I'm looking an hour and 18, but I could listen to the stories forever. Uh, before we let you go and be on your way, is there anything you want to add? Any shout outs? Any kind of closing uh, comments? If not, uh, we're good, and we'll send some cheesers your way. But thanks again for joining us. <laughs> no, I, I thanks. I thank you guys. I, I didn't think anybody would think my my story or, or my journey is uh, any more special than anybody else's. So I appreciate you taking the time to listen, and uh, it was good to chop it up a little bit and talk about some of the some of the crazy stuff I've been through. And hopefully, somebody you either enjoyed yourself or, or got a couple pieces of advice out of it. Would be fantastic. Yeah, and I think, you know, honestly, Shooky, like, you're my boy, but the one of the coolest part was you, when we t- asked you to be on here, you went back and looked at your, you know, you, you took the time and paused for a second and said, I'm going to go back and look at what I've been through, and then it kind of opens your eyes, right? Like, because I don't think we give ourselves that opportunity a lot of times. We're just constantly moving. We're constantly going forward. It's like, what's next? What's next? I got to get this accomplished. I'm doing this. There's the stress, the stress of this. But then you stop and you have the opportunity to look back and you're like, wow, I've actually done a lot of really cool things in my life. And that is super dope. And that's why we're thankful to have you because what a wicked story. There's going to be some funny, funny memories for a lot of people to listen to this one for sure. And we're grateful for you uh, jumping on the pod and being with us. All right. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Okay, buddy. Peace.